BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Drowski show as I speak. It's Wednesday, April 6, 2022. I'm going to give you just, just a sample headline within the newspaper today so that when you're listening to this months from now, you'll know what was going on. This one blew my mind. I didn't see this coming. But then what do I know? Here's a headline from today's New York Times. Aiming to change Twitter, Musk joins its board. Elon Musk, the world's richest man. Man, he's the richest man. He just like dropped three point something billion dollars to buy 9% of Twitter, I want to say. And uh, it like went up 10 or 15%. It's all gains on paper, but I don't know. There's something really obscene about that. Anyway, that's the headlines uh, in the news. And uh, I don't think we're going to be discussing that with my distinguished guest. I don't think we're going to be talking about Elon Musk and Twitter with my distinguished guest. As I do with all distinguished guests, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself and then we'll take it away. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, Ben. Great to be back. It's Samina Mustafa. I ran for Congress in Illinois in the 5th District and now run Silver Lake Advisors. And I'm here to talk about a study I am launching, I just launched uh, last month. And um, it is topical, I would argue, <laughs> that we are talking because um, it's related to some headlines that have been in the news, but we'll get into that. Yes, we will get into that. And there's some uh, topicality. Was well, that a reading even a word? I don't know where that came from, topicality to it. But wait a minute, hold on. We, I can't skin a Oh, yes, Samina Mustafa who was like a regular on my show until she goes, but I'm going to California, like a Led Zeppelin song. And uh, she hasn't been on the show in a while, in a while, ladies and gentlemen. People have asked me. I was at the hideout last night. Uh, and someone asked, when's that lady coming back? Uh, and so Samina Mustafa came on the show all the time. Oh, gosh, at least once a month, uh, Samina, you would come down to the studios. We were at the Sun-Times. We would talk. Local politics, national politics, state politics. Samina Mustafa, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the great uh, riffers of all time. She's like Hendrix on the guitar. She could just go off. But we're going to stay focused. We're going to say detail. I'm not going to waver. 
I got my eye on the clock because I know she's a busy woman. We so are we're both riffers. Okay. <laughs> we are both natural riffers, which is which is why I love talking to you. So it's always yes. glad to be. I'm always glad to be back. Yeah. So now that uh, she has returned for this conversation, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we'll bring her back because I know you want to, folks. You died to know. Like for instance, I just got this email. Uh, uh, Henry Cuellar versus Jessica Cisneros in Texas special congressional election. I, I could throw that to Samina right now. Ten minutes she would give me on that one. I know she can, but we're not going to do it because we're disciplined and we're focused. <laughs> all right. So enough yeah. said on that. Um, all right. Is this a study? And you sent me the uh, uh, what the study is going to study, but there's no results. So why don't you just talk about what the study is all about uh, and uh, why you want to do it, and we'll take it from there. Go ahead. So, well, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here, Ben. Um, we're going to start before the study itself, which, I, uh, as I said, is in the field already. Um, when I ran for Congress and um, started to meet people who were running and organizations that trained candidates and all of those things, um, advisors to candidates, consultants, all that, um, there were a lot of things that were very much designed for um, sort of a default candidate in mind, uh, and that usually that candidate was a white man. And as I was running, there were a lot more, there was a lot of interest in other women running. So there was this uh, surge in discussion, media coverage, scholarship on women running. And almost every time I looked at the content or who was delivering it, or um, kind of the, 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 if there was a study involved uh, or it was a poll, it was nine times out of 10, it was focusing on uh, women when it really was a shorthand for white women. And women of color were underrepresented in all those areas. And so that had an impact on when I decided to run and had the experiences I had, which I can talk about a little bit. But um, it occurred to me that there was this, this dearth of coverage on women of color in the political arena as candidates, as electeds. Um, since that time, uh, quite a bit has happened. You know, we've had a, a, a huge surge of women of color in offices from local, state, and federal all, all across the board. And as you have seen, even locally and um, nationally, you're seeing how their uh, role as candidates and as electeds, how it's, they show up in, in media and how people react to them on social media. And in general, I'd say the, the topic sentence is that there is this um, difference in how women of color are treated, how they show up in those spaces. Um, and it's it's typically not great. It's, it's a negative, uh, there's trolling online, there's um, cases where people have been um, received death threats. Um, and so this is something that I absorbed while I ran and it's I've been tracking it ever since then. I think what happened uh, in the last year or so that got me to think about doing a study, which I'll talk about in a second, is that we had uh, January 6th happened. And there were a couple of interviews, specifically, I think Pramila Jayapal was one of the ones that really struck me. She said, you know, I was getting ready that day and um, there was somebody who had said something like, oh, I was told I should dress down today. Um, like that they knew something was up, but they weren't really sure. Like it's, it's almost seemed like someone else 
one of her colleagues had told her that they were worried about something happening on the Hill that day. And they said, well, I just dressed down that day. And in the interview, Pramila Jayapal, who is an Indian American, said, I can't dress down. I look the way I do. It's very obvious that I'm, I'm a person of color and a woman of color, and I couldn't just hide. So putting all those sort of observations together, I realized, okay, there is something very specific, very gendered, very racialized, um, based on you know immigration status or like perceived immigration status. All of these things roll up together and have an impact specifically on women of color, and it has um, the specific areas that I'm focusing on are the violence and harassment that women of color candidates and electeds face. And so um, there was actually an academic at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Dr. Baru Shah, who I'd met uh, even before I ran. We had um, stayed in touch. She actually included me in a study that she did on uh, women who had ran for Congress. And so I I, um, kept in touch with her. And post-January 6th, I saw all these stories written, and there was some acknowledgement of individuals like Pramila Jayapal and the squad. But I was like, there's still this this complete missing the point of what's going on for women of color in office or in public spaces. Um, And then, obviously, overlaid on top of this is COVID. And you have things like the Atlanta spa shooting, and you have all the incidents that have happened here in LA and New York, all over the country that are targeting specifically women who are perceived as East Asian, as Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, et cetera, and the violence um, that they're facing. And it got me thinking like, I mean, these are totally random attacks, but I'm thinking like, if you're a candidate for office, like Michelle Wu in Boston, mayor of Boston, there isn't um, a way for her to just, you know, put on sunglasses all the time or dress down or just disappear. She's in a public facing role. And so uh, Baru and I got to talking and realized, okay, her own research as an academic, there's very little study done on women of color in politics, period, especially on this issue of violence and harassment. So we decided let's Let's fill that gap. Let's work on that. So we started working on um, writing for grants. And Rutgers has the Rutgers University as a center on American women in politics is probably the most well-known political center for um, women's participation in in the U.S. I would say, and they've just had the their second round of grants that they're giving to researchers. And I believe I was the only non-graduate student, non-academic to receive a grant. So um, it's pretty cool. It's exciting. And uh, we got this grant and we are already in the field. Um, I will pause there for a second if you have a question. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll I'll just kind of keep going. Uh, I have a lot of questions. Uh, And uh, my first question is, what exactly will you be studying and how will you be studying it? So we have, uh, I'll just quickly explain the, the, the study. So it's specific to the issue of how um, women of color, a- Asian American Pacific Islander women, candidates and electeds experience violence and harassment. Um, and the way we're gonna do this, first we're doing a, a survey 
which will ask about um, individuals' experience on the campaign trail. It'll be things that happened in person. What was their experience like with if they had to deal with any party apparatus? Um, were there any incidents that they could document on social media, on traditional media? Um, that's just a little bit of the flavor. The whole survey itself will take about 10 minutes. That is intended to go to all genders, so Asian, American, Pacific Islander, men, women, and non-binary folks. The idea is just to get a, a larger sample and then start to see, are there any experiences, experiences um, that are different based on gender? Then we will, um, there will be folks who will then opt in. Yes, I will agree to an interview. We'll do um, interviews, in-depth interviews with the folks who, um, with the women who, who choose to participate. And it, will, it could be local, state, federal. We're, we're talking to folks at all levels um, and to understand um, their experience. And also, more importantly, um, will it affect their interest um, in running again or continuing to hold that office? To me, that's the one of the most critical things to, that we would like to find out on wow. uh, through the study. Uh, and, uh, before I get into the more specific, how long, when do you figure the study will be completed? So we are, um, we're going to close the survey, uh, around the end of May, just to try to get a little bit more, um, press bumps, uh, during the Asian American Pacific, um, Islander Heritage Month. And then we'll be doing the, um, interviews over the summer and into the fall. So we'll probably, well, like the entire study findings and um, that will probably be um, published and concluded in mid-2023. Gotcha. Well, it seems, listening to your um, explanation, it seems obvious to me uh, that your interest in this topic, uh, at the very least, was informed by the experiences you went through when you ran. Uh, I believe you've only run for office once in your life, uh, and that would have been in, if I'm doing this correctly, 2018. Uh, God, time flies. Uh, and you ran against uh, Congressman Michael Quigley, uh, the Democratic primary of, uh, right, in the 5th Congressional District. All right. So um, did you have any experience? When, when I was listening to you, I, my notion was that there were two basic forms of uh, intimidation or harassment. One, a physical uh, or threats. And then the other is... Um, uh, like prejudice it's, it's not like they call you a name or they punch you or they put the, it whip, take the air out of your tires or what have you but there's assumptions made about you uh in comments made to you that show a, a deep prejudice so did you encounter any either one from those categories either the violence the threats of violence or the prejudice so, um, no to the former, uh, unfortunately too much to the latter. Um, and it, there has been a lot of study on, and violence being sort of defined. There's a, an academic who wrote a book called, uh, violence against women politics. Um, I think it was, it released perhaps in 2019 or 2020, um, and she has a couple of different de definitions to violence, but um, and and we have a similar um, use a similar definition in the study itself. But a lot of these these things are um, you know could take the form of you know um, 
social media harassment, trolling, that sort of thing. It it sounds trivial, but it kind of is one of those things where people who start there, they end up somewhere. <laughs> um, all we have to do is look at something like January 6th to see how things can escalate. Um, and so um, the I expected to get trolled by right-wingers and Islamophobes. I expected that. I expected actually the my Muslim identity to be um, a triggering to those folks. What I did not expect as much is how much it would um, be an issue for so-called self-described Democrats, liberals, progressives, and leftists. And one piece of uh, that I, I don't think we've talked about that is germane to Chicago and Illinois politics is I did a panel discussion last fall at Netroots Nation, which is a national political conference. It's on this topic. This is before we just, we got um, the grant from Rutgers. And I had um, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, on the panel and two other uh, candidates, along with my co-investigator, Baru. Um, and one thing that Kim Fox said was, and she, this was a, a consistent story from all my panelists, that they definitely got attacked by right-wingers, but they also consistently were attacked by self-described liberals, progressives, and leftists, and how consistent that was. And so um, this, I, you know, after uh Conducting that panel, I realized oh, there's a there's a there there. There's something to to uncover here because it's not just your sort of naturally perceived political opponents. It's people who you think are on your side, um, or at least it claim to be. And so, how are the attacks different? Follow me on this question. So, an attack. Let's say you're a leftist uh, woman of color running for office. Uh, how is the attack from a MAGA person different than the attack from another leftist. Right. So I I am going to use, no, I'm not going to use myself as an example. I'm going to use someone like AOC because she, um, she seems to trigger people across the political spectrum. Um, Fox News loves to use her as to sort of get gin up their base um, and loves to put, put her as the poster child of the socialist. I mean, in, in, in many ways, Bernie Sanders played that role for many years, right? And now there's there's more and in her gender and race and all those things kind of make her even more appealing as a target. Um, so it's pretty typical. It's like, oh, she's, you know, she's an actor. Or she's not really elected. Like she's like, they've got every single thing to question her um, validity as a woman, um, who she really is, you know, I think even Tucker Carlson, Carlson called her a white woman or something like questioned her identity. Um, and then on the left, it is a, um, it's pretty relentless in terms of people saying, oh, she's a sellout. She's not, she doesn't really believe in these things. She's not, um, uh, she, you know, just any, like any laundry list of she's not really down for the cause or why did she vote present? Why did she do this? And let me be clear, uh, when you are choosing to be in a public facing office, there is, you, you do have to be held accountable. Like you are accountable to your constituents and there is an expectation that you can speak to why you voted this way or that way. 
But in general, there is a disproportionate level of attack on women of color than the same sort of response or animus that's directed at their white counterparts. Um, like I'll, I'll give an, an example that um, affected me and affects a lot of people. Like, um, like if you have a certain <laughs> opinion on, um, like I've noticed that like Jamal Bowman, for example, has, uh, he's the Congressman from, he defeated Elliot Engel in 2020. And he, I think, uh, went to Israel um, and um, DSA decided, okay, he's not on our side on BDS and we're going to, we're going to talk about expelling him. Um, and now he's a man of color, but again, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, Bernie Sanders doesn't believe in BDS. Are you expelling Bernie Sanders from DSA? I mean, like, come on, like there's a, it is a, um, there's just, there is a, there's a disconnect. There's a disproportionate, there's a hypocrisy that comes with how people of color, women of color are, um, evaluated and, uh, and also just, you know, to be, to be clear, like we are not a monolith. We are even saying women of color that includes indigenous women, black women who are, um, African-American or people from other, you know, that weren't, you know, uh, uh, African, you know, aren't descendants of slaves. There's Latinos, that's Asians, which is a huge category. So it's a, I, I, I realize that even in saying that there is a huge diversity within that, but I can just say with some consistency, I've noticed a trend, which is if you are a person of color, woman of color, there is this sort of, uh, you know, people sort of feel like, oh yeah, I can. There's free reign. I don't, I don't have to, um, to to check myself. The other somewhat uh, significant aspect for me and some of the folks that hopefully will be also um, part of the study is how things like religion play into this. Because I think the fact that I was Muslim and other Muslim candidates have also faced this as well, or perceived as Muslim, which I'm sure you and Romana have talked about. Anyone who is South Asian um, or Middle Eastern is sort of racialized as Muslim. And that adds a complexity to how people are perceived as a threat or as sharing our, our, their values. Like one thing I that consistently came up during my race was um, people who were collecting signatures for me, people kept saying, is she pro-choice? Why would they, why would they question that? Why did they question that? Was it because of my name? Was it because of my name or because of my race? Right? So uh, those, that, those are some of the examples that I think, you know, inform this concern and this focus, but also, I realize that there's 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 things that I don't know about the experience, right? Things that could be regional and also could be unique to um, identities that I don't share. Well, one thing I would add, uh, get your reaction to this: when I think about hostility uh, toward uh, women politicians in general, and then break it down uh, to women of color politicians, I would add a third element, lefties. And I, I, 
I don't think there's I since we're we're phrasing this as a study, we don't know the results. So I have to figure out how to state this as a hypothesis. Um, going back to my high school days when I was a distinguished scholar of science at Evanston High School, barely passing chemistry. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Um, you, so, sound, you sound bitter, Ben. <laughs> are you kidding? That That's heartfelt. I'd still be in Evanston oh trying to get out. With the, the guy felt sorry for me. Either that, he was tired of looking at me. All right, I'll give you the D. Just get out of here already. Um, was not the best of science scholars, but I have a theory that there's something about, now help me out here and see, again, it's only theory. We've just not completed the study, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but I have this theory that leftist women and particularly leftist women of culture just really irritate the hell. I don't know how else to say it, uh, out of men. And. I, I, <laughs> I got my theories, but I want to hear your theories. Do you, first of all, agree with what I just said? And, uh, if so, what do you think the, uh, underlying issue is? Yeah. To be clear, um, I appreciate your, um, going into a very painful past with chemistry <laughs> to ask this question. I'm so, you know, I hope you have a therapy appointment scheduled after this, um, that, I, uh, mental health is very important. I, I strongly believe in it. Um, I, no, this is, I'm not, I'm, to be all jokes aside, I am, it, we are going to be talking to women whose political uh, ideology does not align with mine. This is not a study that is uh, partisan in, in any way. We're, we're genuinely trying to talk to everyone. I can say with confidence that my own experience is that um, it doesn't matter what sometimes what beliefs we we hold. It's the fact that we're trying to um, be in a position of some authority, of some power is upsetting to a lot of people. And so it doesn't even matter what our our, um, our, our thoughts are. It's It's very easy to see us as not fitting the mold and being uh, not, you know, coming from central casting and not fitting uh, what people perceive of as like, oh, this is what a person in elected office looks like, sounds like, uh, what their name should be, et cetera. Um, even just down to um, being able to distinguish us from other folks. Like I <laughs> think um, you may have seen the story about Michelle Wu and there was another activist in, in Boston and someone started yelling at her, assuming she was Michelle Wu. And she was, this was a, a, an actual different person um, who this individual could not separate. And so um, that certainly happened to me um, at times where people just like could not, uh, you know, would sort of like, you know, collapse me with somebody else or it, it is, um, it's just an erasure. So there's definitely a, I guess, a triggering um, that happens uh, when women of color seek uh, public and and positions of power. Let's be clear. What I what I think what we're hoping to find and to document is what are what are the experiences people have in terms of dealing with the public, with party a party apparatus, with the media. 
uh, with social media and sort of see like, are there any trends? And um, is this affecting whether women of color are seeking office um, or staying in office? And really there's a lesson in it for uh, practitioners. And we've started to reach out to organizations that train candidates and work with, um, they might be doing some form of co-governance or um, you know, have a, a list. Like there's an organization called the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies based in DC, and they track all the AAPI um, electeds and anyone who's run for office. So these are all organizations that are um, have been tracking this, but they have not necessarily been looking at this specific issue. It's It's been an issue for a while, but I think the, the recent surge of attacks during COVID have made um, the population, especially of AAPI women, especially vulnerable. And... Um, I think is makes it even more timely to do this now. Now you ran before uh, COVID. So that was the world that existed before COVID. Uh, and uh, now we're in a world uh, that post COVID. Do you think it's That's worse? debatable, Ben. <laughs> it's oh, debatable yeah. if we're post. Uh, yeah, right. Like, you're absolutely correct. And I sit corrected and you're absolutely, we, I was at the hideout last night. We did a show last night. And I was wearing my mask, so I'm not playing around. Uh, you know, yeah, we. I, I didn't. Let me amend that. Uh, <laughs> if I was Robin Williams, I go. Rrr, rrr. Uh, but uh, we're okay. So what I'm asking is, uh, uh, in the midst of COVID, uh, do you think it's worse than it was when you were in, in terms of the the attitude, the hostility, and the people's uh, lack of uh, discipline, and not just letting rip uh, all their hate and venom. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely, it, it seems um, sharper, the attacks, the, um, the, it got after Trump was, I mean, in the run up to Trump's election, it was getting obviously to the point where people were very comfortable being especially Islamophobic. He unleashed that very, um, uh, like very, that was one of his more successful things that he did. He started, to, he basically went from, let me attack uh, Mexican Americans and Latinos. And he quickly, and that didn't work. He got, that's when his show got canceled. He quickly pivoted to Muslims and never looked back. So um, that, that's only gotten worse and worse. And I think the, I, I think we're, we're, we don't even have like a, <laughs> A, a full grasp of it because like I said, this is not, aside from these more recent COVID attacks, there isn't this, this focus on it. It's always generically women have a harder time on the campaign trail. Women have this experience, um, uh, as candidates. And so, um, it is worse, but I, I want to see how it shows up and how it impacts the people who are, um, making that decision to stay or, um, stay in the, stay in the race, literally. Now, uh, getting back to your example, uh, did that experience you had running for Congress deter you from ever wanting to run for anything again? Um, the, um, I go back and forth. I think it was something that I, uh, I, because I've talked to people and I have encouraged some other people to run, so I haven't completely 
turned off that side of my brain, but um, it, it has prompted me to ask different questions of people. And I will also say that um, the pool of people who provide uh, guidance to candidates don't have that experience. Most of them are white men. I mean, this is something that's well known within the political consulting industry, and they have a very different response to all this and don't um, can't always effectively give the right guidance to their candidates. And so I think that's where um, as more people of color, more women of color come into the 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 you know advisory space and consulting, that will also help. Um, in terms of guiding candidates who want to continue. And so I think like it it is like, if I were to do it all over again, I have obviously a different um, mindset. And I also would be very conscientious about who was um, giving me advice on how to deal with trolls. Because I think just, just some of the things that I was advised to do, I think was based on the best information we had at that point. But I realized in retrospect, like it wasn't right for me yeah uh you said prompt it would have prompted me uh to ask different questions of people what do you mean by that um i think it is every person who comes to running for office or being in, in a public space has different considerations like um i don't have children but i i know people who are actually still in chicago who are um you know our parents and the the effect that it has on their families is significant. I mean, I have a spouse, but I don't have young children. And and I think about how kids are navigating COVID right now and just the, the stress and the trauma of that. And I just think, you know, that's a whole thing altogether. And then to have to worry about, okay, my child, you know, my child's identity could be, you know, found out and they could be teased at at school or potentially be in danger. Um, there's been a number of candidates and people who have the means who have hired security for themselves and their families. And so, you know, that's something that I didn't have to, um, I didn't have to take that step, but I think there's probably going to be more candidates who are going to have to consider that as an expense. Are you going to be able to raise the money to pay for security? Are you concerned enough about your safety? Are there things that you can do um, regarding your personal safety? And even things like digital safety. I mean, if you are running any kind of campaign now, everything is obviously online. You can be hacked, um, your accounts um, taken over. I mean, it's there's a lot of things to think about as a candidate um, who has an identity, like I said, that is, is, is triggering. Um, that uh, need to be taken into account. And some of those things cost money. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot. Well, uh, I can see we're running out of time here and I know you've got a lot of other things you got to do, but I have to say, uh, I'm really curious to, to see what you, uh, unearth to discover. I, I've, you know, I have many, like many obsessions that I follow. And one of them is, uh, you mentioned this at the top, the attitude in this country toward uh, AOC, I, 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 it just the ceaseless pounding she takes. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, and and um, she, she took a, 
a plane, a flight, and she was in the first class. I don't know if you saw this one. And man, they hammered her for being, and it was just like relentless uh, hammering her for being in first class uh, as though, you know, if you're dedicated to progressive politics, you should never ride first class. You know what I'm saying? You should. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is this is a reach, guys. Uh, but it was relentless. Uh, and it was on Fox. It was on the New York Post. And it was ugly. Yeah. I know, and again, I have, I can speak for myself. I have... I have no expectation that Fox News, New York Post, any Murdoch property is going to operate in good faith. But again, I think, and I see this unfortunately too much, and I, I don't want to go on this this rabbit hole, but another big piece of this um, is the, how I noticed that not only did, did academics overlook women of color, um, but so do um, traditional and new media and and things like, you know, even sort of leftist political outlets and how they cover this. And there is this sort of knee-jerk reaction, which is like, oh, we're, we have this, um, we feel like we can weigh in on every single thing these uh, women do. Uh, and it's, it is, it's, it's, it's patronizing, it's racist, it's sexist, it's all those things. But again, I'm, I am hoping that there are some people who are, I would love to, I would love this study to show that um, there's, there's a, a large enough subset of people who have had good experiences and are going to continue to stay engaged. Cause frankly, I feel like that is important too. But I also feel like if we don't know that there is an issue, then groups like um, that train candidates that work with uh, women of color, or perhaps even frankly, um, people who donate to candidates are thinking like, hey, I really want to see the diversity in my community reflected in who represents me. And I'm going to make sure to give this candidate money because I want to make sure this person stays safe or that they can uh, feel comfortable canvassing um, at night. Like I remember canvassing at night by myself. You know, it's <laughs> you do. You, you just you have to do it. You know, you're, you're on a street corner, you're collecting signatures. There's no, there's no security. There's no, there's no guard standing next to me. I'm just there with my clipboard, and um, it, you know, doing that in this age, I, I think is is something that takes a little. It takes a little bit of planning. It can still be done. It's just what are the things that you know each community um, has obviously different um, uh, considerations. But like, what what is there to to think about? Not to discourage people, but just to be like, hey, this is a thing that we are thinking about. We want to make sure that we uh, are giving you the information you need. So whether you're um, an advisor to candidates, whether you're, um, you know, a PAC or a, um, a group that trains women of color, that you're thinking about all these things and including this in your um, in your considerations. In retrospect, can you identify like one particular thing that you didn't consider when you jumped into the race for Congress that once it was over, you go, Oh my God, I didn't realize this was going to happen to me. Was there anything like that? 
Oh God, we don't have enough time, Ben. <laughs> but I will say, um, I'll go back to my panel that I had with Kim Fox and the the two candidates I had. One was from Texas, one from California. How much of the animus I got that was from the so-called left um, that came from people who are self-described Democrats, liberals, progressives, leftists, people who claim to uh, not be racist not be sexist, but uh, exhibited all, like at some point you, I don't care if you support Medicare for all and you're willing to troll me just the same, like then we are really not that aligned on the things that matter because my, my dignity <laughs> is non-negotiable. It's, it's, right. it's not complicated. All right. Samina Mustafa, uh, thank you very much. And it's uh, great to hear your voice and see your face. Uh, she used to be a regular on this show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you remember her. Uh, she come on. Oh, my goodness. We had a great thing going after debates. And I would, oh, poor Samina would be the only other person in the state of Illinois other than me who would watch the debate. Oh, my God. The notes I would take on those. I just, oh, my God. <laughs> but they were great. They were fun. I remember. We were like, every after every debate, we would rank. Like, okay, who's your number one? This is the Democratic debates in 2019. And who is and I can tell you right now, at no point did either one of us have Joe Biden in the top three. So it's, what do we know, huh? Um, he's our president right now. Is yeah, just FYI. Yeah, just <laughs> FYI. I guess you missed that one. All right, Samina, is there uh, any information? Oh, anything you want to promote before I let you go? Yeah, so um, this is something that if, if you could post it on your, I'll send you a link that if you guys, um, I don't know if Nate or Dennis or who handles your social media, cause I know it's not you, Ben. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have an Insta. I handle the Instagram page. Okay. Let's, oh uh, that my was... God. Watch out, watch out. Okay. <laughs> I will send you something that you can share okay. and it'll be the link to the survey. So that would be great. Um, trying to get it out, um, get responses through the end of May. That would be terrific. All right. Very good. Uh, Samina Mustafa, thank you very much. Best of luck to you. And we'll talk thank to you, you real soon. All right. Okay. All right. That's the great Samina Mustafa. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader